Super Talk Mississippi media production. And now it's Coast View with Ricky Matthews. Brought to you by AG Chase Systems and Networks on Super Talk 103.1 FM. Welcome to Coast View, the show that every single day celebrates the men and women who are making Coastal Mississippi such a great place to live, work, and play. Uh, as you know from, uh, if you're a regular listener of Coastal, you know we get involved in issues from time to time that are important to Coastal Mississippi. Uh, one area that we have not avoided having conversations about is the whole issue of the insurance sort of state of affairs in Coastal Mississippi. Uh, we've discussed in the past as it relates to FEMA's new risk rating 2.0 flood insurance program that's coming down uh, the pike. Um, and we, we'll, we'll be talking more about that here in just a little bit. If you've uh, if you've been paying attention to the news, you may also know that there's been some legislation out there that sought to tinker with the Mississippi wind pool in, in one way or the other. Uh, you know, again, very interesting. If you do a search on that, you find very little news about it. Um, and uh, I've had this ongoing, really terrific relationship with the state insurance commissioner for Mississippi, Mike Cheney. He was on the show about three or four weeks ago, and we talked about the new FEMA flood program and tried to give you a pretty in-depth view of what that was all about. And uh, and now that, you know, there's been discussion about the wind pool, thought it would be a good idea to bring him back in, but we won't just have a conversation about the wind pool and flood insurance. I sort of want to, if you don't know about the state insurance office, I want to kind of rebuild some of the foundation for what that office does, what Mike Cheney's goals are. And, uh, and then we'll, we'll kind of branch out and, and talk more specifically about what's happening with the new flood insurance program that we should all be concerned about here in coastal Mississippi. And then, of course, uh, is there anything in the wind pool area that we need to be concerned about? So we'll get into all those areas before we get done. But let's start with just welcoming Mike Cheney, the state insurance commissioner, to, to coast you. How you doing, Mike? Doing very well. Very good. Well, the legislature will go home. <laughs> I know it's a busy time for you. I, I know it's a busy time for you. And I know that just before you and I went on the air, you actually had to turn around and turn the legislature off. You had it going live. But, um, but you know, you don't know what's going what's gonna to sort of gyrate out of some of these committees and what's going to, you know, build ahead of steam. And uh, as an insurance commissioner, any one bill could really change the course of history for your department. So, you know, as you, as you observe the, the legislature these days, do you have big concerns or so far so good? So, um I, I, th- I think I got part part of your question there, Rick. But I want to be certain. Ask me again what you. Yeah, as you as you just on a high level, and we're going to get into some of the details here in just a second. But as you observe the legislature, are there any uh, bills that you're that you believe will clear the legislature that gives you particular concern, or are you just kind of waiting and watching, and hoping that uh, that it stays the course as you currently see it? Well, there are some bills that that got into. Um, the, the house floor in each one of the chambers or so. And one of them uh, dealt with express grain at the last minute over on the Senate side. Um, someone put the Department of Insurance uh, to be the keeper of express grains. That's all the grain storage places in the state of Mississippi and, and to form an indemnity program and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it, when we looked at the cost, it, it would cost us over a million dollars a year to do something like that. And my budget's only around 11 million a year. Although 
the Department of Insurance brings in about $400 million a year in revenue. We're, we're the fifth largest producer of revenue in the state on a very, very small budget. So I think I got that bill killed, uh, so I'm not worried about it. Uh, we've had a couple of other things that have slipped in, but uh, by and large, we've got some uh, good legislators that understand what we do, Rick, and um, we've been able to work through some of that. And I think a lot of that is because I spent uh, 15 years in the legislature, uh, two terms in the Senate, two in the House, and um, I, I kind of understand the process. I've still got a lot of friends that are left over there, although most of the people I serve with have retired or gone away. So, uh, yes. Yeah. My major thing is to be certain that we have a decent fire service in the state. That's one of the other hats I wear. I'm a state fire marshal. Uh, I also have to regulate propane uh, within the state of Mississippi. We we, we do a uh, polydry of just things that, that nobody would ever suspect that we do, like burglar alarms, smoke alarms. Uh, we do fireworks if it's on public property. And um that's always an issue when somebody says, I can't shoot fireworks off in my city, and we and we have to inspect them. And we inspect the Capitol. You know, I've often told this joke. We've got a cadaver dog that we use in search and rescue if you have a catastrophic event. Or, so basically, uh, we use them when we have tornadoes and if somebody drowns or, or we have a catastrophic event. But we, we uh, take and we have a bomb dog, too, that we use um, to inspect. Uh, places that have fires and mysterious fires, but we use the bomb dog in the Capitol. Every Monday morning, we go over uh, when the legislature's in session and search everything. And I tell this joke about uh, the bomb dog was busy one Monday, and we took the cadaver dog. And after eight hours, my uh, chief deputy Rick Davis uh, called me and said, "Commissioner, the dog's not back." And I said, "What's wrong?" He said, "He thinks everybody's over there as a cadaver." So I don't think it's kind of a joke. <laughs> That's not true, but um, hey, we, hey, so Mike, at the beginning though, let's and we're going to come back. I want to, I want to, we'll cover some of the some of the major areas that your, your department is involved in. But um, you know, you mentioned uh, Express Grain, and um, I, I'm assuming that this is a reaction to what's happening in Greenwood with the filing of bankruptcy there and holding all the farmers holding tens of millions of dollars and all the creditors that are going to be impacted. The fact that so many people were caught off guard by that. I've talked a little bit about it on the show. I had the speaker on. We talked about it. He seemed quite aware of what was happening. Uh, a couple of my farmer friends, some of my dear farmer friends uh, who who are uh, just closest friends with me uh, were, were left holding the bag on some of, on some of that money. Uh, but, you know, I, I think there's got to be something done, but I think maybe this approach, as you saw, probably wasn't the wasn't the right approach. Well, well some simple things you you could do to fix that problem. And um, I used to farm as a hobby because I used to be a pretty avid duck hunter, and um, so I my farm evolved. I, I went from a thousand acres to zero, which is probably good. But uh, what what you can do in the grain business is you audit the inventories every quarter. And um, uh, I suggested to um, one of the chairmen yesterday and some long conversations that what they should consider is allowing the state auditor, utilize the state auditor since he wants to be out front on everything. And you yeah. let him go in and, and audit every, every three months to make certain that you don't. He, uh, Rick, you may remember Billy Saul Estes in Texas mm -hmm. and the great fertilizer scheme where they would um, pump fertilizer from one tank to another to say that they had all of these inventories. You can't do that with grain, but you can prevent falsification of inventory levels. You can verify the audits and make the auditor send a copy to the uh, 
Commissioner of Agriculture, so you know the grains there. I don't think you can protect the farmer against rises and falls in the commodity market, but uh, most farmers will usually book half of their uh, expected production uh, on the market, what we call the futures market, so they can ensure at least some profit. And the third thing you can do is probably look at making everybody have a federal license, although I'm not sure I would want that because then you get the federal government into everything that you have, and that usually it gets screwed up more than it helps. But there's some simple things that can be done. Well, you know, for for people on the coast who may not really appreciate what you and I are talking about, think of it when you when you drive up into parts of Mississippi, and if you've been to Greenwood before, you'll know that there are these very large grain bins that raise, you know that go yeah. way up in you know, hot a sky rise. Uh, grain bins. And what the farmers do is they make uh, commitments to, they lock prices in at a certain number as the as the season goes on. They decide what they're going to plant. Are they going to plant cotton this year? They're going to plant soybeans this year. They're going to plant corn this year. And uh, and so what they do, they lock in the prices. Uh, they they uh, take all of their, their, um, their, their, you know, their crops uh, once they once they've uh, you know gotten to a point where they can take them, they bring them to the grain bins, and then they're paid. That's how, how this works. And what's going to be interesting about the the issue in, in Greenwood is we still don't fully appreciate what happened. There's this complex relationship that was going on with the banks. Um, you know, there was there's some thought that maybe some money was still in the bank that would would have paid farmers, and it's very complex. Ultimately, they filed bankruptcy, and so you've got plaintiff lawyers involved now. You've got uh, you know you've got you know individual farmers and collectively being represented. Then you've got the banks being represented. You've got bankruptcy judges and bankruptcy lawyers involved. It's a, it's a web. Really complicated web, and it'll be interesting to see what comes out on the other end, and and see if there are some safeguards beyond what's being talked about today that could help farmers, and that really impacts the rest of Mississippi. And there really probably needs to be a place where this lands. It would seem to me maybe a, a relationship between the state auditor and maybe the the uh, state ag commissioner would be something that would be considered. But um, it's a surprise to me to see that there was a bill involving the insurance commissioner. And that doesn't involve most coastal Mississippians, but you know anything like that that happens in Mississippi is not good for the whole state. That, that's for sure. And hopefully we can put some safeguards in that will keep that from happening in the future. Anything else on that point before we shift gears? Well, well one thing I want to say, Rick, is that if that bill were to become law with us inserted, we would end up having to regulate every self-insured program in the state of Mississippi because it has ramifications far and above uh, what you may have uh, just from, from checking express grain out. And that's some other things that we can do to protect the farmer. I, I'm, a, I'm on the farmer side on this. We need to bring the banking department in. I am big time on the farmer's, farmer's side on this. They have to know they can trust where they bring their grain. That is really important, not just to them and the families, but the residual impact, the economic impact to that region of not paying the farmers is going to be absolutely significant. Hey, when we come back, we'll continue our conversation with the insurance commissioner for the state of Mississippi, Mike Chang. We'll see you after this break. Subscribe for free to the Coast View Podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
His love for the coast is why he's here. It's Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. I'm having a terrific conversation with my old friend, Mike Cheney, who's the Mississippi Insurance Commissioner. And, uh, you know, we, we worked together back when I was publisher of the Sun-Herald, and here you are. <laughs> you're still here. And, and the way I would describe it is you're a man who's sort of gone through many iterations in your life. You know, as you mentioned, at 49, you probably could have checked it all in, but you've done stints in the House of Representatives, you've done stints in the Senate. And, and I, I should point out that Mike said it was fine for me to say this, but at 78 years old, there seems to be no slowing down in you. Uh, what keeps you going? Well, you know, I, it's not about the money because these, these jobs just don't pay very much when you we, we don't make much more than a, a school teacher with 25 years of experience. So I, that's that needs to be pointed out. But I want to leave the state better than I found it. It's a way to be a steward, uh, to do part of your uh, stewardship to this world. Uh, if you're a Christian, you can say it's kind of a missionary type work. It's a way to make a difference for a lot of people in the state. And along those lines, Rick, um, we deal a lot with health insurance in the state of Mississippi, so I'm really in the healthcare business, whether I like to admit it or not. Um, and that goes back to when um, Obamacare came about. Whether you agree with Obamacare or not, it's it's a reality, and we call it the Affordable Care Act today. We've kind of gotten away from these other names, but that affects every person in the state of Mississippi. So I tell folks when I'm out speaking that I affect someone six months before they are born to six months after they die. That means prenatal care for the mother who's expecting a child. And if somebody's been buried, trying to pay for the final funeral expenses if they have burial insurance. And everything in between there, which includes homeowner's insurance, uh, insurance on the automobiles, you just name it. We, we are involved in it. We touch just about every life in the state of Mississippi in more than one way. And what's interesting about you, when I was, uh, I went to a leadership program it was there were like like nine different countries, people from nine different countries involved in it. Some really fascinating people. And one day I'll share with you some of them. One one in particular from Nicaragua. But anyway, the we had this uh, we had a program, and one of the studies we did is on the insurance industry and how it's changing rapidly in a digital age. You know, this is as we began to see online insurance companies come to fruition, and you know the competitive landscape started to change dramatically, and and uh, you know. All, I mean, it's it got complex quick. Uh, has the has the has the digitization of insurance companies? In other words, some online companies that only do business online, and you have brick and mortar insurance companies. Has it been hard to keep up with? I mean, is I mean, is, are there are there more players today that you have to say grace over say than than ten years ago, or are there less? What's the state of affairs as it relates to keeping up with the 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 competitive landscape? So let's divide the players into old players over on on one side that have been around for a long time and new players over here that are people that are, are innovative in what they're doing. So you've got something like Lemonade that you can buy insurance online right at the moment that you need it. Uh, we've got an innovation that we're working on now. Actually, we'll, we'll have conversations later this week uh, where someone uh, can buy their health insurance online be in the Affordable Care Act, get a tax credit if you need it, and verify your income, and you get to negotiate with a doctor what you can pay, uh, what he's willing to charge you, and uh, he knows what the card's going to pay. They give you a Visa card, basically. To the other side, whether you have the conventional um, 
people like the Blue Cross Blue Shields who are not in the Affordable Care Act, who uh, deal basically in groups and still are working, although they're innovative in some steps, working towards um, things that they were doing 25 years ago. They just hadn't innovated enough. And so we get involved with what's covered between the drugs. So we're involved in pharmaceutical costs. We're involved in formularies. And uh, that's not something we should be doing, but we're involved in it because of health insurance. So that's just one thing. The health insurance side is so innovative. Now, what we are really dealing with is what do you do about somebody taking cryptocurrency as payment for our insurance premiums? And what, how do you address that if a company keeps that in their surplus, which is required by law to make certain they can pay your claim? And I had a lawyer tell me yesterday we were having a conversation with some folks uh, about uh, cryptocurrency and, and cyber. And he said, look, it's like somebody bought a house and they used a uh, Bitcoin to pay for the house. And we put that Bitcoin into our escrow account. And the next day, Bitcoin drops 10%. Uh, we're responsible for that escrow account. How do we account for that? So we're, we're working. Th I hope I made that problem kind of simple. Uh, it's, it's, not, it gets, it's not a stable currency, right? It's 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 is it really incredible how much, how complicated it is? You know, I was looking through this list of things that you're involved in as part of your regular duties. Okay, health insurance management board, Mississippi Automotive uh, Insurance Plan, Mississippi Comprehensive Health Insurance Risk Pool Association, Mississippi Fire Personnel Minimum Standards and Certification Board, Mississippi Fire Prevention Code. Board of Adjustments and Appeals, Mississippi Insurance Guarantee Association, Property and Casualty, that is. Mississippi Life Health Insurance Guarantee Association, Mississippi Tort Claims Board. I mean, listen, I could keep reading. This the list is long. It's very long. How is your how is your department structured so that you can make sure that you're paying attention to what you need to be paying attention to? Well, that's a great question, Rick, because uh, I, I sure can't do it all. Uh, I'm a jack of all trades, so, so to speak, and a master of none. And so I have a lot of lawyers that work for us. At one time, those lawyers were supplied by the Attorney General's office. Um, and that was prior to 2016. The department would be granted uh, monies in their budget and we would pay it to the Attorney General. So we had some control over how many lawyers we had. When um, we became a general fund agency instead of a special funds agency. That meant instead of the dollars that we generate, we didn't get to keep any of them to operate the agency. Uh, the attorney general decided how many attorneys we needed. So I found that the attorney general was not sending us the attorneys that we needed, one, and they were keeping the money that they were allocated to give us attorneys. So I was about $600,000 short. I got the legislature to change that. So I got all my pens. That means personal identification numbers come back to the department and we we have our own attorneys we do not have ag attorneys if you can imagine writing a well let's just use an example right in the state farm and saying i'm an attorney general and after they've been sued 10 times by them they're not going to answer a complaint so yeah we have a lot of attorneys and each attorney specializes in some area we got somebody that handles life insurance somebody that handles health and all of these attorneys do not practice law some of them just have law degrees i've got two research assistants that um do nothing but uh, research on healthcare. One of them's a Methodist minister with a law degree, and the other one's a, a lawyer that just didn't want to practice law. And then you have lawyers that um, will help us in things like um, 
uh, fire protection and, and minimum standard boards or what we need to be doing at the fire academy. I, I, I'm responsible for training first responders. That's people that come to the Gulf Coast after you have a hurricane or a catastrophic event and, and respond. It's not the local folks. It's the firefighters that end up going down. So that's an issue for us when you talk about uh, current legislation. Uh, there's been a move not to fund some of the first responders, although uh, the governor just signed a bill recently on first responders where we give them some dollars for if they get cancer or COVID-19. But it, it's, a, it's a complexity where we use experts in our own field. And I have to depend upon those folks to tell me the truth. And you got to have great communication. If you don't communicate, uh, you can't run an agency correctly. And so when we send, you know this from dealing with me, if I send an email out, I'll normally have five people on that email and I, the first one listed is the one that's responsible. The others are for information. So when we have staff meetings, uh, everybody knows what each other's doing. And there's no surprises. And we interact a lot. Uh, our consumer division handles 13,000 calls a year, not, not complaints, but just inquiries. Uh, we had a, about 1,200 complaints last year. We returned $27 million in lost insurance, life insurance proceeds straight to the consumers, never went through the legislature last year. You don't see that in the newspaper. Mm -hmm. just, that's not something, it's not newsworthy. But if we do anything, if we hiccup or somebody doesn't like what we do, we, the bad news is what's printed. You know what I'm saying? So I try to do the right thing and just say, come on, folks, let's just keep on rolling and do the right thing and depend upon each other to do the, do the work they're assigned to do. Well, as my friend Haley Barber often said that news media doesn't cover airplanes that, that land safely <laughs> that's just that's the, right that's just the way that's just the way it works you know it is a, there's a lot to say grace over that's for sure um i'm, I'm curious you know, what is your role we'll come to the legislature here in just a second and whatever whatever tinkering might have been done with the wind pool or attempted to be done what's your role with the wind pool and describe to people on the coast and really across mississippi who may not be aware of this why, why the wind pool is important and what your role has been in in, in the wind pool over years all right so i'm going to address that uh, kind of succinctly in a in, in a way that the wind pool came about the wind pool um was actually formed in uh, 2007 with House Bill 1500. We had a House Bill and Senate Bill that were exact. Uh, Dean Kirby, who was chair in the Senate, flipped the coin. The House won, so it became a House Bill. And I was in, on the insurance committee, so I'm very familiar with HB 1500. What HB 1500 did was it was a bill to uh, enhance economic development of the Gulf Coast after Hurricane Katrina. It was called uh, the Economic Impact Act at that time. So the wind pool uh, set up a board that was responsible for supplying wind and health insurance to the Gulf Coast, which was not available in the lower six counties. And that's the, the three along the coast. And then you have uh, George and, and um, the other three counties above the Gulf Coast. Those counties were to uh, be able to uh, have affordable wind and hail insurance because at the time that we had uh, Katrina, wind and hail insurance would normally cost you a couple of hundred dollars a, a year. Uh, it went from a couple of hundred dollars to a couple of thousand dollars a year. 
and consumers just cannot pay that. So where we fit in is we regulate the uh, rates for the wind pool, what they can charge consumers, and we regulate the amount of reinsurance that they can buy. So we make certain that they have enough reinsurance to service to cover a shortage in case it's catastrophic. When we come back, we're going to continue a conversation about the wind pool and explain what re- we'll explain what reinsurance sure. is. It's really a critical component to something like a wind pool, and we'll explain that to you here in just a second. But when we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Mike Cheney, the Commissioner of Insurance for uh, the state of Mississippi. He's also the state fire marshal. We'll see you when we come back. Listen live or on demand and watch episodes of Coast View on your laptop, desktop, or on your phone or tablet by going to supertalkmsgulfcoast.com. And now, it's Coast View with Ricky Matthews. Brought to you by AGJ Systems and Networks on Supertalk 103.1 FM. Welcome back to Coast View. We have, uh, we're having a conversation with Mike Cheney, the Mississippi Insurance Commissioner. And in the first uh, couple of seconds, we just kind of rebuilt what they're all involved in. It's just an amazing number of activities related to insurance in the state of Mississippi. When we went to break, we were talking about the wind pool and um, the importance of, of uh, what the wind pool did for us after Hurricane Katrina. Because as most people on the coast know, if you, don't, if you weren't here at the time, you're not aware. But after Hurricane Katrina hit... There was a lot of instability in the uh, insurance market in coastal Mississippi, and that was actually really important to us because people had to make decisions to rebuild. So not only did you have new ABFE requirements coming down from FEMA, which d- decided how much higher you had to build your house if you had less than if you had more than fifty percent damage, and then on top of that, you had to be able to get you had to be able to get wind coverage in order to get to get a mortgage, and so this was a really really important issue. So as, as the as the commissioner pointed out before we went to break, a bill was passed that ultimately created what is called essentially the state wind pool. And uh, and then there's a there's a board that helps to regulate the rates of the wind pool and also the focus on uh, how much reinsurance is necessary. And this is all about risk. This is all about risk. But let's when we went to break, I mentioned we'll describe for people who don't have heard the term reinsurance but don't really understand what that means. Explain what it is, and then how do you establish how much you need on something that's sort of you know important as the state wind pool. Well, the state wind pool has $2.4 billion in coverage. That means they've got 12,000 homes, and the value of those homes and commercial businesses, basically churches, is $2.4 billion. So the wind pool has, let's say, $350 million in surplus. They need $50 million to operate, so you've got $300 million in surplus that you could use to pay claims with, and you have to rebuild that, you know. And if you want to have a, a at least a third coverage of all the the insured value you've got, which would be about $800 million, then you take the $300 million from the $800 million, you need $500 million in reinsurance. So reinsurance is really assigning the risk to somebody else. It says that if we have a, a storm and $100 million of damage is, is covered, that's the damage you have, let's say the uh, wind pool will cover the first $100 million out of their $300 million surplus. 
the next 200 million in, in loss would be covered by reinsurance. So you just take some of that risk and give it to somebody else. Now to get them to do that, you got to pay them some money. So money's always involved, money and power, you know, it's all about money. So you pay them and used to, uh, you'd have rates that wouldn't go as high as 10%. So if I needed $100 million in reinsurance coverage, I would pay $10 million to get $100 million in coverage. It's like playing cards at casinos. If um, you had to go buy that same reinsurance today, it's about 4% because interest rates are very low, and that may not last forever. So we buy our reinsurance at the wind pool early, and it's at 4%. We bought uh, $465 million in reinsurance this year at the wind pool, and it cost us about $19 million for all of those dollars that we bought in reinsurance. We take about $19 million in on premiums. So that means there's zero. We have zero numbers to operate on. Well, there's something called the non-admitted fee that goes to the wind pool, and that's 3% fees on non-admitted companies. That's surplus lines companies, which are big on the coast. They don't pay into the guarantee funds. So the wind pool gets 3% from those companies on the premiums they sell and, and, and the policies they sell. That's $18 million right now. And uh, the lieutenant governor wanted to keep all that $18 million, and he and I disagreed. I thought part of it needs to stay in the wind pool. So long story short, he wanted to move it into the state health plan, and they need $140 million, not $18 million. And uh, we made a deal at the last minute. I mean the last minute, one minute to 10 on, on uh, Tuesday morning of last week or so. And I agreed that I would not give the wind pool any rate request during 2022, if he would give us $8 million, at least out of the Senate bill, and it's up to the House to approve that at the present time. He agreed, I gave him a signed letter, and since I'm the sole person or the agency that can approve rate increases. Now here's, here's, here's what the public really wants to know. We needed $6 million to keep rates level. Otherwise, we were going to have a 23% increase in rates. In addition to that, the WINPU was contemplating a 10% rate request to me, and that's 10% of $19 million would be about $2 million. And so that so there's no magic in the numbers. You've got $6 million to keep, well, prevent a 23% rate increase and $2 million to prevent another 10% rate increase. We put that in the wind pool. If we don't have a hurricane this year, we'll be okay for next year and probably will not have another rate increase. But the problem here is it's, it's, it's crazy. But if we keep the wind pool rates down low, artificially low, then the admitted companies won't write any wind insurance on the coast. So people can't buy wind insurance. They come from private companies like Allstate, State Farm, Nationwide, and all the other companies. They come back to the wind pool and it's called repopulate, which means you got to have more uh, reinsurance because you have more value in, in the wind pool. It's, it gets complicated, but bottom line is we've got the best run wind pool in the country right now. And uh, let me name some folks on there. Uh, companies that are on the wind pool board because they have to they're the ones we assess if it's a short are USAA, uh, State Farm, uh, Allstate, and Farm Bureau. Farm Bureau is the second largest writer in the state, so they need to be on that board. And then you have uh, Scott Lemon from 11 Motors has been chair, done an excellent job. This guy's got more integrity, just good man, good man, and just understands the problems uh, of what people on the coast face. Uh, we got Jeffrey Carver with uh, Union Standard out of Meridian is on the board. And uh, Jeffrey's uh, uh, one of the statewide people that gets appointed. 
Uh, he is a super guy. He's on the reinsurance committee. Uh, we've got uh, Frank Genzer, who's an architect on the Gulf Coast, Mark Thomas, who's uh, in real estate. And then we have um, uh, Greg Cullum, who's with Hub on, on the Gulf Coast. He took um, longtime uh, Bobby Portwood, longtime member of Bobby Portwood's place when Bobby retired. Bobby Bobby contributed so much to the state. Doesn't get a lot of thanks for what he did, but Greg's there. So you got a very very solid board, and uh, then the, th the other member, the the one that balances out, so you don't have uh, even numbers, is the state treasurer David McRae, and uh, he he makes a few meetings. Um, because he's a, he's a key vote for us. Uh, Lynn Fitch served for eight years, and prior to that, um, Tate Reeves, when he was state treasurer, was on for four years when we when formed the board. And by the way, I need to go back and say, in 2006, Rick, we passed building codes in the state uh, due to Katrina. I happened to be chair of education that, at that time, and the coast was short about $800 million for schools to rebuild them, and the feds, the federal government said, we'll give you the money, but you got to have building codes. And when that came about, uh, Haley Barber uh, worked with us. You know, Haley was a great guy to work with. He he didn't, he didn't care who got the credit. He wanted the job done, kind of like where most of us are, like you are, Rick. You're a lot like that. Um, so we, we've done a lot to help the Gulf Coast and, and meet those FEMA guidelines that you had to meet. And that's important. I hope I, I, I talked way no, too much about that. But no, 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 no. That's all. Hey, that, that's all really, really important stuff. And I think one of the I think what I want to do to kind of summarize a bit is simply say that we knew when we developed a wind pool in Mississippi that it was going to be fragile. And it was going to be risky because uh, mm -hmm. if we look at what had happened in other states, they had, some have not done this very well and had issues along the way. But what we had done here in Mississippi, and I think it helped not to get, you know, uh, another major storm like Katrina. And it gave us a chance to kind of uh, build a bit of a head of steam. But with good leadership and funding we've and, and, and a relatively stable, I say a relatively stable reinsurance uh, uh, market, I know that from from year to year, there are times when you are very deeply concerned about whether you'll be able to negotiate the the kind of uh, deals that you need to to be able to make it work. And I know from you know you you maintain good relationships. Does it still require, incidentally, for you guys to go over to London? You have to go to London. I, I don't go to London. I just, that's not on my bucket list to do. I uh, you know I used to have a farm in Africa back when I was real young, and uh, among other things in my to do life. So I don't go to London. I've been to Bermuda, but that, that's a tough trip. You got a lot of people there. But let me say this about the reinsurance market. Uh, what, there's a lot of logic in why I wanted uh, the lieutenant governor and the speaker to be on board with $8 million. We had a commitment good through the 3rd or 4th of March uh, to uh, have level prices on our reinsurance. We bought it, we paid for it. Uh, let me tell you what's happened with the Ukrainian Russian war. A lot of the people that have postponed their reinsurance purchases are looking at twice what they thought they were going to pay. Um, it's rugged for people in North Carolina and South Carolina. Actually, I'm meeting with 14 commissioners later this week. Um, very privately, we're looking at the impact of, uh, of that war on insurance and all the other issues. It'll impact the Gulf Coast. And we talked about express grain, Rick. Let me tell you how that works. If you've got those grain elevators and those silos at Gulfport, it affects all of you. If you've got pogo fish in the silo somewhere over in Pascagoula, uh, it affects all of them too. So there's a lot more to this than we talk about. 
Well, 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 complicated stuff. What I want to do before, when we come back after the break, and we'll jump right into the latest on flood insurance, but uh, I want to hear, why was the legislature tinkering with our wind pool at a time when we created what was one of the best practices in America? I mean, I, I don't get that. We'll, we'll, we'll have that conversation in just yeah, a second. We really need when to we, have that conversation. When we return with, uh, with uh, Mike Cheney, the state insurance commissioner. We'll see you after this break. Also, listen live to Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on your Amazon Alexa devices. Once you've enabled the skill, just say, Alexa, open Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast. This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View, the final segment, and I appreciate you having the opportunity to join us today with uh, Mike. Cheney, the commissioner of insurance, and we really covered a lot. But hey, listen, real quick, and we'll move over to the to the latest on the flood insurance. But why tinker with the with the uh, with the wind pool, Mike? At a time when we built this best practice and it's working properly, and and, uh, and others are looking to us for leadership on that. Why would we tinker with it? I really don't have an answer for it, except there's some some legislators and some of the leadership do not think the wind pool should get. Uh, the $18 million that they're getting from non-admitted fees, they think they should be using the surplus, and that's simply because they don't understand insurance. And uh, it, it's a hard education issue. And then you have legislators uh, that are elected that instantly become experts in every field, including insurance. And uh, I can tell you, it's um, insurance is not something you learn overnight unless you're paying a lot of premium, and then you learn about it. But it, it's a it's a it's something that um, I don't dwell in. I don't talk about it a lot, but I do say this. If you can't finance a project, it's usually because you can't insure it. If you can't insure it, you can't borrow money from a bank. It's just that simple. And if you keep messing with a with a wind pool program, you're going to destroy it. And it, it gets complicated. It goes back to 2015 when the, the Doyle Frank Act uh, went into effect and uh, rates went from 3% to 5% on unadmitted fees and uh, we put a three-year repealer in at the suggestion of uh, the governor at that time to prevent, uh, we didn't know what was going to happen. We moved from 5% back down to 3 to keep levels right. And then you get accused of robbing the, the reinsurance for some of the members of the board. So it gets real complicated. And the bottom line is some of the leadership's tired of some of uh, the rhetoric they hear from other folks. But bottom line is we've got good leaders in the state. And uh, if they'll sit down and listen to us, we can usually work things out. So we'll shift gears, um, and we, you and I have spent uh, a couple segments together talking about specifically what's happening with the new FEMA program, Risk Rating sure. 2.0. Um, they kind of snuck it in on us. There's a lack of transparency in terms of rate calculation, et cetera, mm-hmm. uh, for new uh, homes that went into effect October the 1st of uh, last year, actually. And then as people start to renew this year, you'll start to see the impact. What's interesting is I call my – I live on the water. Uh, previously did not require – I'm at an elevation where I live, where it's not uh, flood insurance is not required, but I I have it anyway, and uh, called them and said I need to I want to know what the new rates are going to be. Well, they can't they can't tell me that until we renew. So 
I really believe there's going to, there's the way that the, this is kind of this sleeping giant that's going to impact people. For people, as you and I discussed before, that are going to be hit who are currently grandfathered in on the flood insurance program, there's no longer grandfathering. So they're going to be doing full rate, you know, risk assessment of all homes. And essentially what they'll do is they'll de- de- determine a target price for your home if you're now on flood insurance. And it can go up 18% a year until it reaches that target uh, number. Now, the other thing is interesting is that the target number could actually change from year to year. So there could be a moving target here on top of that. But over time, the cumulative impact of these additional rate increases could be very significant to coastal Mississippi. And there's virtually nothing written about this. I mean, Mike, I, I did a start just a few minutes ago. There's literally no stories written about this. So what you, what are you hearing these days? Well, there are a couple of things that uh, that people need to understand. The best thing you've got if you already have flood insurance is an 18% max cap. If you don't have in flood insurance, the news is even worse than you can imagine. It's You're probably looking at a, um, a rate of, of $1,000 minimum for flood insurance, maybe upwards of $2,000, $3,000. It's based on cost of the home. And then you complicate that when you think about, we've talked a lot about the wind pool, but if you're in the wind pool, you're required to have flood insurance if you're below a certain elevation. So I took that in consideration when I gave Deborah that letter uh, simply because I, I understood I couldn't live on the coast at a increase of $2,000 a year or $5,000 a year for flood insurance and the same thing for my wind and hail insurance and then face inflation on the other side, on, just on the casualty side. And that means that we're looking at inflation factors right now, just 6% a month. So we may be looking at a 40% inflation factor, which would almost double your insurance rates on your home if you're not careful. And that's a big concern of us. That's one of the reasons we're meeting with all these commissioners. What do you do for all those people in the coastal areas? 60% of the country lives close to coastal areas. It's not just coastal, it's inland too. How do you control flood insurance? So that's the reason that we're looking at trying to bring more admitted companies into the into the business of writing flood. And we've, we've been successful in that end. But at the same time, Rick, Things that haven't been talked about. Uh, I got uh, Palomar is leaving the Gulf Coast. They've got 3,000 policies. I've just got notice Fed Nationals leaving. They've got 4,000 policies. And what we're doing is I'm negotiating with other companies to come in and take those loads up. Can you imagine dumping 7,000 policies back into the wind pool? That's yeah. a, almost $2 billion in coverage. It's crazy. So, Well, Mike, we're at the end of our time together. But here's, here's the main The main point I want to make on the insurance issue, if you're not paying attention to the risk to uh, risk rating 2.0 program for FEMA, I would and you have flood insurance now, I would make a call to your agent and start to understand how it's going to impact you. And we're going to continue to keep this conversation going. Hopefully there'll be more media that pay attention to this because, man, I'm telling you, you do a search on it right now. And there's just there's a lot of stories from Florida, as I pointed out the last time you and I talked because they have more flood insurance policies than any other, any other uh, state. But Mississippi's going to be hit hard. Anyway, Mike, thank you for what you do, buddy. And it's been great catching up with you. Thank you, Rick. Always a pleasure. It's a pleasure, too. This has been Mike Cheney, the State Insurance Commissioner. Have a great day, and we'll see you tomorrow. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.